0: You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com.
1: All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn or scroll to uh, Acts chapter six, uh, verse one, starting in verse one. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in numbers. and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Our Father God, we, we thank you for the chance to gather in your name. And Lord, we just pray that um, as we experience um, being part of this community of faith and hearing your word and worshiping you, Lord, that we'll, we'll feel your presence and we'll be changed By being here together today. So Lord, open our hearts and our minds to hear what Andrew's prepared for us. Thank you for his time and his hard work. Lord, fill him with your spirit. And again, open our ears and our minds to hear what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Um, So today, we're going to talk about... That's still pretty loud to me. Um, (laughs) We're going to talk about God's expanding kingdom... Um, which is not the first time we've talked about this, right? Because in the book of Acts, this is a major theme. But it is not only in the book of Acts. You can find this same topic if you look in the prequel to the book of Acts, which is the Gospel of Luke, in several different places. But there's one place that I wanted to point out this morning, just a short little teaching that Jesus gives with regard to the kingdom of God in Luke chapter 13, verse 19. There Jesus says this about the kingdom of God. He says, it is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. The parallel passage in Mark chapter 4 adds, it becomes larger than all the garden plants. Okay, so the sort of uh, on the surface, simple understanding of this short teaching by Jesus It's pretty obvious, right? Jesus is saying that the kingdom is something that begins small. It's insignificant, like a mustard seed. A mustard seed is very, very small, right? But then it grows to become something bigger, maybe something like 10 feet high in terms of this mustard plant, shrub type thing that grows uh, in, in Israel. Now, I think, though, that there is something else, uh, kind of going on in Jesus' analogy that maybe isn't so apparent to us, and, and I wanted to just mention that here. One of the things that people who would have heard this teaching would know with regard to the mustard plant is how hardy it is and how invasive it is. So by hardy, I mean it can almost grow anywhere, right? It can grow almost in any kind of circumstance. It can grow in less than ideal uh, circumstances, and when it grows, it grows very, very fast. It like, the seed hits the ground, next day we're off and running, right? And then it can take over, like it, it's often classified as a weed. And, and Jake was telling me he took a class, what was it called? The Science of Weed? It, yeah, it was uh, taught by Snoop Dogg? No. Um. <laughs> wow, I shouldn't have said that. Okay. Um. But anyways, it's not about that kind of weed. Let's keep moving. Um, Anyway, so he he was saying a weed is really anything that you don't want to grow in a a particular area, right? And so that's sometimes classified as a weed in the sense that it can take over your garden, right? So this idea was, was part of what Jesus was trying to communicate. He's saying, look, my kingdom is going to start small. It's going to seem insignificant, but it's going to grow. And when it grows, it's going to grow fast, right? And nothing is going to be able to stand in its way. And so what we see in the book of Acts, right, is how this parable is beginning to sort of play out, right? Jesus's kingdom in the book of Acts starts pretty small, Pretty insignificant, 120 people in Acts chapter one verse 15, and then in a very short amount of time, like by the time we get to our passage here in Acts chapter six, it's it has exploded to thousands and thousands of people, right? And so, and it wasn't in ideal circumstances, right? Right, the early church, they endured persecution, right, beatings, imprisonments, threats, things like that. They endured corruption, right, uh, sin infiltrated the church. It still infiltrates the church, right? Ananias and Sapphira at the beginning of Acts chapter 5. It endured conflict, right? And that's what we have in our passage. There's this conflict with sort of like these cultural undertones to them. So I want to talk today about kingdom expansion in the face of conflict, right? And so in order to do that, we need to talk first about The nature of the conflict that we find in this passage. So we're going to talk about the conflict first. That's our first point. We're going to talk about the response to the conflict. There's actually a a couple of responses that work together in response to to the conflict. And then we're going to talk about the result of the response to the conflict. Okay, so those three things, the conflict, the response, the result. All right, so let's first talk about the conflict. Beginning again in verse one of our passage, we read these words. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So to understand a little bit about what's going on, we need to remind ourselves about this distribution. So if you remember, earlier on in the book of Acts, Uh, one of the things that we learned about coming to faith in Jesus and then becoming part of the kingdom of God, one of the things that uh, resulted in that or a consequence of that was you had a new relationship to your stuff, right? Whereas before maybe you clung on to your stuff, you know, you put your hope in your stuff, you found your salvation in your stuff, getting more stuff kind of like lorded over you, that's what governed what you did. Now you're in a different kingdom, so you're no longer clutching onto your stuff. You're holding your stuff with open, with open hands. Right? To the point where it would say this in Acts chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. It says, There was not a needy person among them, that is among the Christians. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet... It was distributed to each as any had need. So just like today, people in the church, there are some who have a lot, and then there's some who don't have so much. And so what happened in the early church is that those who had a lot, they sold some of what they had, and then they brought those resources to the apostles, and the apostles made sure that those were distributed to those who had less. Right? And the widows belong into which category? Those who have a lot or those who have less, right? Normally, they would have had less because in this society, it was very difficult for them to find employment. Now, the last time that we talked about this, or uh, there's been a couple of times, right, where we talked about how the, uh, the first disciples, they shared everything in common. And what we have to remember about that situation is that it wasn't about compulsion or entitlement. By that I mean it wasn't, this was not like, hey, you better do this kind of thing, or or like people were being forced to do things that they didn't want to do. That wasn't part of it. And it wasn't about entitlement either. It wasn't about those who had less demanding that those who had more give them, give me your stuff. Like it wasn't about that. It was about love. Coming into a new kingdom, being adopted into a new family where God, who owns everything, is the Father Right? Jesus is our brother and king, and then that kind of opens up the possibility and makes it possible for us to actually enjoy sharing our resources with one another. And in this case, the apostles sort of serve as the big brothers who are sort of making sure that things are going in the right place. Now, the purpose of all of that was to create this sort of picture or window for the rest of the world to look in, and see, this is part of what the kingdom of Jesus is supposed to be. They look into the church and they see what the world could be like if Jesus was king. Jesus brings a, a kingdom of peace and justice and equality. And, and the world looks into the church and they see, wow, that's what the world could be like if Jesus was king. And that's what makes this conflict that uh, so significant, right? Because that picture that is meant to bring glory to God, that was in danger of being corrupted or damaged, okay? So that's, that helps us to know a little bit about what's going on, just remembering the background regarding this distribution. So let's dig a little bit further into the nature of the conflict. Reading verse 1 again. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So, in this passage, we have two groups a minority group and a majority group. The minority group were the Hellenists, and the Hellenists, they spoke Greek, and at one time, either they themselves or their descendants returned to Jerusalem from where they had been scattered, okay? But not before they had adopted the Greek language and not before they had adopted some of the customs of the Greek-speaking people so that when they went to synagogue, they went to a Greek-speaking synagogue. So that's the minority. That's the Hellenists. That's one group. Then you had another group, the Hebrews, right? They're the majority group. They are native to the land. They primarily spoke Aramaic, And they went to Hebrew-speaking synagogue. So you've got these two different groups, and there's sort of these two circumstances that create this conflict. The majority group is uh, not, is neglecting or not paying attention to the needs of the minority group. Maybe because they saw themselves as distinct. Maybe they saw themselves as better than the minority group, and and that's maybe not even totally, they might not be totally conscious about doing that. So that's one thing that is creating this conflict. Another thing that's creating the conflict is is the rapid growth of Jesus' kingdom is surpassing the apostles' ability to be able to manage it. So God's kingdom family is growing in such a way that the apostles are no longer able to make sure that things are distributed in the right way and no cultural group is being ignored. Okay, so now the reason why that's important, what we said, is because God is creating this picture of, of one big family under the lordship of Jesus, right? And that picture is beginning to be corrupted. It's beginning to be damaged. Now, if you notice in the passage, it doesn't seem like that was done intentionally. The word neglected, actually, if you, if you translate that a little bit more literally, can, can just be translated overlooked. right? But even that is sort of instructive for us. If you are part of a majority group, and, and you might be thinking about race, and I'm including race, but it could be other things, like those who have homes versus those who don't have homes socioeconomic classes, however you distinguish between human beings, these distinctives that we have culturally, all these different ways, if you're in a majority group, sometimes people who are in minority groups become invisible to you. And it it might not even be intentional. Now, the world, you know, out there in society, they see that as a problem and they come with all these different solutions, but the reason, you don't have to accept the solutions of society, but this is still important for the people of the kingdom of God because, we need to pay attention to this, because the kingdom of God is not organized around cultural distinctives. The kingdom of God is organized around the person and work of Jesus. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is saying is, look, there's, there's, there's these different ways in which you can divide up humanity. And the purpose of Paul bringing this up is not to get rid of all the distinctions that, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, with all the distinctions, we are still meant to be one. right See, God wants to create one people of God from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Out of the many, he makes one. right And that has profound implications for race relations, relationships between other, you know, distinctive categories. Like if you look at the latter part of Ephesians chapter 2, right, there Paul will say that the the dividing wall of hostility between the Jew and the Greek, that's been broken down in the gospel. And Jew and Greek is just one, cat, you know, set of categories. Any distinction that you can be, you can think of God is breaking down all of those categories through his gospel. Again, not getting rid of the distinctions, but saying, look, there can be one out of many. right?" And the reason why this is important to God is because of who God is in himself. God is a community of three equally divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit where there is oneness without sameness. And so a multicultural kingdom right, reflects something true about God himself, and it brings him glory. Right? And so because of all these reasons, this picture that God wants to project into the world, right, this, this situation is a problem. So that's the problem. That's, that's the conflict. What about the response to the conflict? That's our second point. There's really two of them. They work together. It's not like they're in conflict also, but the responses work together. There's the response of the apostles, and then there's the response of the disciples. We see the response of the apostles in verses 2 through 4. There we read, and the 12, so that's talking about the 12 apostles, summoned the full number Of the disciples, so that's all the rest of the followers of Jesus, and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Then, verse 3 Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So, note the prioritization of godly character over skills. Right? They were to have wisdom, right? meaning a, a track record where they made good decisions in difficult situations as a result of being connected to God. Right? You, in the Bible, there's no such thing as being wise and not being connected to God. Like They always go together. So they, they're connected to God. They're filled with the Spirit. They have a track record of making wise decisions in difficult situations. They, he says, yeah, choose godly men like that. And then in verse four, but we will devote, we're talking about the apostles, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, I think as we look at this passage, it's just as important to note what the apostles didn't do as it is to note what the apostles did do. So what what, what are the things, some of the things that they didn't do, right? Well, one thing they didn't do was dismiss or minimize the complaint. That's pretty interesting. Another thing that they didn't do is defend the status quo. They didn't do that either. Right? And that's, that's, okay, so they have this ministry of distribution. Okay, so just put yourself in their shoes, Um It's a little bit easy for me to do because I think about GAP. I automatically think about Grocery Assistance Program. That's our ministry of distribution. Now, we don't get this very often, but every once in a while, somebody will complain about our ministry of distribution, okay? Um, And then, you know, what's... (laughs) Some of the emotions that come up in me is sort of like, well, we don't have to do this. You know what I mean? You get defensive or you minimize the problem or like, you know. But they didn't do that. They didn't do any of those things. Right? And think about how easy that is to do, to either you know, dismiss or defend uh, when you're in, in, faced with that type of situation. But notice the other thing that they didn't do. They didn't take it upon themselves personally to fix it. That's, that's pretty interesting. Like Think about how practical and instructive this is for any kind of leadership situation. Even just like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm leading my toddlers at home. Like, this is ap- applicable to that, right? Like, when there's a complaint co- that comes in, right? We don't have enough crackers, whatever it is, right? You don't need to minimize or dismiss, and you don't necessarily have to take it upon yourself to fix it, right? That's not what they do. Instead, they, they lead and they shepherd and they direct. That's that's what they do. The, the apostles, they recognize their inability to maintain this very good picture regarding the kingdom of God, right? And so they they take responsibility in that sense. They don't get defensive. Instead, they direct the rest of the fellowship in what they might ought to do, right? But they do so in such a way as to empower the people. They empower, and just as Jesus does, Right. The, uh, the, the, the amazing thing about God, the amazing thing about Jesus is that they're all powerful and then they share the power that, that that's uh, it's like an upside down way of thinking with regard to power. Right. And so the apostles are following in the same suit. They empower the people to come up with their own solutions while maintaining their focus on their primary calling, which has to do with the word of God. And, and, and prayer. Now we have to note another thing here too, because you might get the impression from reading this that, okay, the apostles feel like they're above serving tables. But I don't, I really, I don't think that that's what's going on, and, and for a couple of reasons. So far in the book of Acts, right, the apostles seem very concerned with following the teachings of King Jesus. They have the spirit inside of them, and they're not perfect people, but they are are interested in following King Jesus. And Jesus spoke to this situation pretty directly before. In Luke chapter 22, beginning in the latter part of verse 26, Jesus said, Let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. That's the same word that's used in our passage. Then Jesus went on to say in verse 27, for who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Same word, right? Is it not the one who reclines at table? He's he's kind of saying, like, that's the cultural expectation, isn't it? But then Jesus says this, but I am among you as the one who serves. right? Same word that's used in our uh, passage. This word actually is used in its uh, noun form to talk about uh, deacons, like what becomes a role in the church, an office in the church. There are two offices in the church, elder and deacon. You can see that in Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. And I think that this passage is paradigmatic for that office. But I don't think this, that's the focus of what's going on here, but I just, I just mentioned that in passing. So Jesus is saying, no, like we ought to serve. So I don't I don't think the apostles are saying, ah, yeah Jesus said that we' we're, we're on to something else. no I think I think they believe that and they were willing to help with this ministry of distribution earlier in Acts chapter four in Acts chapter two. I think what's going on though is that they're saying, look, this has surpassed our ability to manage the rapid growth of the kingdom has surpassed our ability to to manage it in the way that would Uh, help this picture that God is trying to produce. And we need to be focusing on serving the community in a different way. Uh, We're still serving, but we have a different calling with regard to service. And that service is giving ourselves to the preaching of God's word and uh, attended by demonstrations of power signs and wonders, as we pray and we depend upon God to give us his Holy Spirit to do so. Now, now part of the reason why I'm pretty confident in saying that this is not an aversion to service, it's just a different type of service, is that the word translated, you know, they said in verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The word ministry is the noun form of the word serve for serving at tables. I serve, they're not against serving, they're just saying, hey, we have to serve um, in a different way because this is, you know, this is going beyond our ability to be able to, to handle, right? It's very interesting, you know, um, I just, pre- usually, you know, 99% of the time I'm just preaching through a book, right? And what's really odd is and maybe I shouldn't think it's so odd given the fact that, you know, I walk with God, you know, but uh, it's just odd how, like, things come up in my life at the same time the things come up in which I was preaching. Um, on Thursdays, I usually sit down and I try to write a rough draft of the, of the sermon. I, I try to stop from researching anymore, and then I, uh, I try to sit down and I, and I write a rough draft. And on Thursday. Um, The truck came in from where, you know, where we get the food, the food bank, you know. And then I stopped and and I helped unload it. And and then after I helped unload it, then I I went back. And I was so thankful in that moment. It's like, like, I like helping with the ministry of distribution of GAP, you know, uh, grocery assistance program, GAP. I always call it GAP, so I forget sometimes what it means. And I like helping, but I'm also thankful that it's, it's like, you know, that's like a 30-minute spurt of time, right? And then I help a 30 minutes here and a 30 minutes there, and I'm, I'm so grateful to do that, but I'm also grateful that there's a whole host of other volunteers that do a lot of the other stuff. It, it, one of the, but one of the things that Kathy came in a little bit later and said, she said, the, pers- the people, Candy and Steve, who for years ha- have been going to get the food from the food bank and getting the bread from the bread ministry, they said, hey, you know what, we can no longer do this. And now the immediate reaction of, you know, Kathy and I were like, oh, no, this is going to fall on us, <laughs> you, you know? And, uh, and, then, and then it was like, okay, wait a minute. So I, this, don't, don't, I'm, I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. <laughs> Please don't hear it that way. I'm just saying that's pretty interesting that I'm reading this passage when that happens. And so I'm just letting you guys know, guys know that there is a need with our distribution ministry. It has to do with getting food from the food bank and getting bread from the bread ministry place. Uh, and so if you're interested in that, go see Kathy a- a- about that. Because the truth of the matter is, even the apostles are human beings. So the way, the way that we think about church, right, is that we are a family where everyone is a minister, There's not just, it's not just me that's a minister. It's not just Matt who's a minister. It's not just Carlton that's a minister. It's not just Jay Hyatt that's a minister. Adam, those aren't the only ministers, right? Everyone who belongs to the kingdom of Jesus is a minister. And then our job as the elders is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And everybody has a role. And we watch out for one another so that we, aren't, we don't get burnt out. Right? And that's part of how the body of Christ should function. Right? So there's a, there's a switch that needs to happen in our mind with regard to how we think about the local church. The local church is not a movie theater where you come in and there's a show that you watch and then you, know, you, you, you pay a little bit, thank you for the show, and then you go, you go home, right? No, it's, it's, a, it's a family. And we work towards being a family and we each have our own roles. So that, that's one response. That's the response of the apostles. Then there's the response of the disciples. And that's in verse five and six. And there we read, and what they, referring to the apostles, said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus. And how did you pronounce this, Matt? No, Nicanor. Nicanor. See, I was waiting for you to show me. Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Proselyte means a non-Jewish convert. So just keep that in mind. These they set before the apostles, and they, meaning the apostles, prayed and laid their hands on them, which is a sign of commissioning. Now, right off the bat, I want you to, to notice one thing. I want to bring up one thing. This response of the disciples would be impossible had not the Hellenists brought up the offense. Like, notice what the Hellenists didn't do. They didn't just harbor that offense and let it grow into bitterness. They didn't take their ball and go home. They didn't have secret meetings about how they needed to start second church of Jerusalem, tagline, where everyone is loved. <laughs> right, you know, sa- side glance, to first church of Jerusalem. Like, they, they, they didn't do that. They also didn't say, you know, if they say they have the Holy Spirit, and yet they don't know that we have needs. Like, we shouldn't have to bring this up. They should already know this. Well, here's the truth. We all have blind spots. Should we have blind spots? No. Do we have blind spots? Yes. That's just the reality of the situation. So we're not going to move forward a- unless people bring up offenses. So they, they brought up the offense to the community. And that gave the opportunity to the disciples to be able to respond rightly to the offense. And the, response, the, the disciples respond in a good and wise way following the leadership of the apostles. So they, like the apostles, they, they weren't dismissive. Right? They didn't minimize. They weren't defensive about the status quo. Right? Instead, following the lead of the apostles, they actually elected representatives from the minority group to help remedy the situation. All of the names that are mentioned are Greek names. These are the Hellenists. Now, now think about um, how profound that is in this context. okay? So here the early church. In Jerusalem, right, the heart of Israel, right, who who do they have in their congregation? They have Palestinian Jews, non-Palestinian Jews, and they have non-Jewish proselytes in leadership. So think about what's been happening in the book of Acts. We're moving away from the old temple system governed by elites, People, you know, the Sadducees came from wealthy priestly families. God is transitioning things over to this new temple where more people are being involved, right? And and God is, he's going to do this slow and patiently. Like they haven't, they still have blind spots about Samaritans. They still have blind spots about Gentiles, right? But it's like, okay, but here we, we're going to start here. We're going to, have a, we're going to have Palestinian Jews in leadership, non-Palestinian Jews in leadership, and non-Jewish proselytes in leadership already because God is making one people of God from every tribe and every nation, and that glorifies who he is. So part of what goes on, when you come into the kingdom of God, when you, when you sign up to be, uh, uh, you know, you're going to participate in Jesus's kingdom, part of what that includes is that you bring, hate to tell you this, you know, you bring your brokenness. You bring your hurts. You bring your prejudices. You bring your blind spots to the table. And you join a family, an amazing family, full of people who have hurts blind spots and prejudices right and so there is ample opportunity in that kind of a situation for there to be more hurt but if we put Jesus his person his work at the center of our identity as a community, and then we move towards Him, towards healing, towards forgiveness, then God can help us work through our hurts and begin to experience healing. And then the world can look on. Think about so the world recognizes all these things as problems, right? And they try all kinds of solutions to help remedy those problems, right? But what the church is supposed to be is where the world looks in and goes, oh, that's what the world could be like if Jesus was king. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? But But it would require some things of us. It's going to require that you are vulnerable with one another. That you interact with one another enough to where you start feeling safe with one another. And once you start feeling safe with one another, here's the next step. You're going to start hurting one another, <laughs> you know. Because you have blind spots. You have prejudices. right? So here's the other part of it. What's gonna, what it's going to require of us is to be honest with our hurts. Be honest when we feel offended. And, and we talk to one another, and we work through our hurts together. And then the world looks on and says, wow, they seem to be solving something over here. Like, this is what the world could be like. So that's a, that's a very difficult, very scary, extremely messy process, but it's worth it, and it can bring about surprising results. That's our third and, and final point, and it's our shortest point, too. Verse 7 says, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number, uh, and the Number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so when the early church, they listened to one another and they treated one another justly, meaning that they did right by one another, then three things happened. The word of God increased, disciples multiplied, and even priests came to faith. Now when I say that the word of God increased, by the word of God I mean the apostolic message right, the good news that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father as king, having defeated sin, death, and the devil. And what that means for us is now Jesus has the authority as the ascended king to offer forgiveness, the forgiveness of sins, and to give the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the good news about the kingdom of Jesus, right? And so when the, when the people of God they work through their issues in such a way that prioritizes justice and leaves room for people to um, fill out their calling, like live out their calling like the apostles, where they are spreading the, the seed of the kingdom of God. Then the kingdom of God begins to take root and grow, and then disciples are multiplied, and even priests come to faith. Now, this is an example of Justice, paving the way for the proclamation of the gospel. So when we think about like, hey, should we choose pursuing justice or pursuing the proclamation of the gospel? It, that question doesn't even make sense. Because the gospel is the proclamation of Jesus's good and just kingdom. So if we go around proclaiming, hey, Jesus has a just kingdom. Will you submit to this kingdom? And then you don't treat each other rightly? <laughs> well, you're sort of hollowing out the message, aren't you? Right? They, they go hand in hand. Now, there's one last thing I want to mention about the word of God increasing this this word this word increase translated increased means growing like a plant grows it's the same word that Jesus used in Luke chapter 13 verse 19 which talks when he said you know the kingdom of god is like a mustard seed and when it's planted it grows and when it grows it grows Fast, and it grows invasively and it grows even in the midst of less than ideal circumstances and so what God is doing through Jesus is he is recapturing the cultural mandate first given to Adam and Eve as the second Adam and as us as the second Eve where we're fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with children of God. Right? Not physical children in the way of Adam and Eve, right? but with spiritual children who are not born physically, but are reborn spiritually as the kingdom of God spreads in less than ideal circumstances. And that's what we've seen in the book of Acts. In spite of persecution, in spite of corruption sin infiltrating the church right in spite of what's going on here with this conflict with, where there's you know there's a there's a culture war so to speak there's rela- you know racial tension so to speak then and now the kingdom of god continues to grow but it grows within the context of love and justice where we work through our hurts and blind spots together, we care for one another tangibly, and we continue to rely on the Spirit to fill us, to proclaim the Word of God regarding Jesus' kingdom boldly in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then when when we participate in what God is doing in that way, His kingdom will grow like a wildfire. Government policies might not change. They might get worse, right? But the kingdom of God doesn't care about that, right? It's like a mustard plant. It's going to take over the garden. And I pray that that will happen and we'll see it. So let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you that your kingdom is unstoppable. And we want to join you and participate in what you're doing in the world, God. And for that, Lord, you, there's a lot of things. Oh, Father, there's a lot of things that you're going to have to remove in our hearts. There, there's a lot of blind spots that you're going to have to make us aware of. And Lord, I, I thank you that the work that you begin, you finish. I thank you that you are long-suffering and you're patient. Lord, I thank you that, that you are committed to making us one as you are one. Thank you for Jesus, his death and his resurrection. We praise you for him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.